Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Like a Loving Physician. It's based upon the lectionary readings for July the 2nd, 2017. In the summer of 2002, I traveled to Austria for a meeting of the Theological Students Fellowship of Europe. About 60 seminary students from 16 countries gathered at a retreat center called Schloss Mittersill, a castle about two hours south of Munich that dates back to the 12th century. I have lots of fond memories about that trip, like my 11-year-old daughter traveling with me, how she slept till the afternoon because of the time change, and our day trip to Salzburg to see Mozart's birthplace. But what I most remember, just like it was yesterday, is one single sentence from a talk by the British theologian and Anglican priest, Gerald Bray. I don't know what his theme was. I just remember Bray saying that the Christian life can be difficult because, and here I quote verbatim, there are so many things that we don't understand about ourselves. I've thought about that single sentence long and hard since I first heard it 15 years ago. Gerald Bray liberated me to move beyond a simplistic and horribly unrealistic view of myself and to appreciate the many complexities of my own human nature. He helped me to understand what the Trappist monk Thomas Merton called the basic and most fundamental problem of the spiritual life, namely the acceptance of our hidden and dark self. Stated positively, Bray helped me to develop a spirituality of imperfection. Consider the New Testament commentary on the story of Abraham for this week that Abraham went out, as Hebrews 11.8 puts it, not knowing where he was going. His obedience was wrapped up in ignorance. In this week's epistle to the Romans, Paul struggles with how and why he feels like a slave to the powers of death and darkness, even though he writes he's been set free from them. He says that we are weak in our natural selves, he sees in himself every kind of covetous desire. And then his remarkable concession, I do not know what I'm doing, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Society's holy grail of perfection, moral, spiritual, financial, physical, psychological, family, vocational, is the voice of the oppressor. But later I discovered in the early desert monastics the liberating way of befriending my brokenness. The early ascetics fled the corruption of church and society to seek Jesus in the lonely solitude of the remote desert. 
Sometimes they lived in communities, while others chose so-called open combat as solitary hermits. They sought what the 5th century John Cassian called integrity of heart, or integral wholeness. Well, that's what they sought, but what they found was something far different. With remarkable candor, brutal realism, unqualified empathy, and wry humor, the desert monks described how they experienced in the vast silence of the Egyptian desert a cacophony of voices in the interior geography of the human heart. They sought wholeness, but they discovered brokenness. Their reports from the front lines of spiritual battle reveal a disarming transparency. As Cassian puts it, without any obfuscating embarrassment, and that never despises anyone in belittling fashion. Here, for example, is a sampling of what I underlined in Cassian's two books, The Institutes and the Conferences, about their self-diagnosis. Lethargy, sleeplessness, disturbing dreams, impulsive urges, self-justification, seething emotions, sexual fantasies, pious pretense that masked as virtue, self-deception, clerical ambition and the desire to dominate, crushing despair, confusion, wild mood swings, flattery, and the dreaded noonday demon, a wearied or anxious heart that suggests close parallels to clinical depression. Kathy Cassian further admits that, quote, there are also many things that lie hidden in my conscience, which are known and manifest to God, even though they may be unknown and obscure to me. Cassian wondered why a monk who joyfully renounced great wealth later succumbed to intense possessiveness for a tiny penknife, a needle, a book, or a pen. He observed monks giving each other the silent treatment. What provoked a brother's anger at a dull stylus? Or consider his description of a church service that included spitting, coughing, clearing our throat, laughing, yawning, and falling asleep. Or why is it, his friend Germanus asked, quote, that superfluous thoughts insinuate themselves into us so subtly and hiddenly when we do not even want them, and indeed do not even know of them, that it is very difficult not only to cast them out, but even to understand and to catch hold of them. In other words, where was the off switch for a psyche in overdrive? Despite their unrelenting realism about human nature, the desert mothers and fathers didn't live like helpless or hopeless victims. Far from it. They exuded confidence in God's unconditional love. They exhibited tenderness and patience toward one another and to their own selves. They avoided the faintest hint of judgmentalism, rejected every manifestation of extremist zeal, and chose not to compare themselves with others, or even to be overly anxious about their own progress. 
James chapter 2 verse 3 says that we all stumble in many ways and for many reasons. What we all need when we flounder and fail is not moral condescension, but human compassion. Not humiliation, but empathy. And not shame, but hope. I've always loved the tender wisdom of St. Maximus, the confessor of the 7th century. He wrote, The person who has come to know the weakness of human nature has gained experience of divine power. Such a person never belittles anyone. He knows that God is like a good and loving physician who heals with individual treatment each of those who are trying to make progress. For books this week, I review a new title by Aldo Schiavone. The title, Pontius Pilate, Deciphering a Memory. This book is translated by Jeremy Carden, New York Liverite, 2017. This book is 238 pages long. The Yale historian Yaroslav Pelikan once observed how one of the many historical ironies of the Christian message is that of all the famous ancient Romans, Julius Caesar or Cicero or Virgil, none has achieved even nearly the universal name recognition of an otherwise obscure provincial governor named Pontius Pilate, who has the distinction which he shares with, of all people, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and with no other creature, of having his name recited every day all over the world in the Nicene Creed, as well as in the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea for the ten years 26 to 36 during the reign of the emperor Tiberius. He was a key actor in one of the most important pivot points in all of human history, standing between two unique and extraordinary stories, that of the Roman Empire at the peak of its power and that of the Christian faith at the time of its beginnings. Although Pilate's interaction with Jesus lasted only a few hours, the consequences of the encounter have reverberated down to our own day. In this clash between Christian memory and imperial history, it was Pilate who made a fateful decision of incalculable magnitude. It was Pilate who determined the destiny of the prisoner Jesus. For the Jews, Jesus was a sacrilegious blasphemer, and for the Romans, a dangerous fomenter of disorder who threatened social stability. And in between the two stood Pilate. But who was Pilate? A bungler? A despot? An accomplice? Tertullian famously called him, quote, a Christian at heart, end quote. For this biographical reconstruction, Shiavon draws upon the four Gospels, especially John, along with four important extra-biblical sources, Josephus, 
Philo of Alexandria, Tacitus, and most interestingly, an epigraph that was discovered in Caesarea. Schiavone is a classicist at the Institute of Italiano of Science, Maine, a member of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, and the author of three previous books, all on Harvard University Press. Once again, the title of the book, Pontius Pilate, Deciphering a Memory, from the year 2017. For movies, I review the brand new movie by Terence Malick, the title Song to Song, 2017. Terence Malick's latest film completes a trilogy that began with the film To the Wonder, 2012, and proceeded to Knight of Cups, 2015. Devotees of Malick like me will love this film, whereas detractors will find it a ponderous mishmash that lacks any coherence or structure. For example, a paltry 5.5 on Rotten Tomatoes. Like the first two films, there's no linear narrative in Song to Song, just a succession of dreamy film fragments with whispery voiceovers. This particular story follows two couples in hipster Austin, Texas. These deeply lost prodigals specialize in hedonistic excess, which, for a while, looks fun. But the end is never in doubt. However superficially enviable, a life dedicated to wanton pleasure is a spiritual train wreck waiting to happen. I revolted against goodness, one character admits. Says another character in a moment of enlightenment, I never thought of myself as a person who needed mercy. There's no judgmentalism here by Malik, just a lament for so much of what drives our contemporary culture sex, money, power, and prestige. The two couples are played by Ryan Gosling, Rooney Mara, Michael Fassbender, and Natalie Portman. Even if this is not your cup of tea, the film is still worth watching for the cinematography of Emmanuel Lubezki. Terence Malick's new film, 2017, it's called Song to Song. For poetry, we reach back to the third century in origin. It comes from his book, Against Celsus. Origin writes, And as we, by our prayers, vanquish all the demons that stir up war and lead to the violation of oaths and disturb the peace, we in this service are much more helpful to the kings than those who go into the field to fight for them. And we do take our part in public affairs, when along with righteous prayers we practice self-denying disciplines and meditations, which teach us to despise pleasures and not to be led astray by them. And none fight better for the king and his role of preserving justice than we do. We do not indeed fight under him, although he demands it, but we fight on his behalf, 
forming a special army of piety by offering our prayers to God. That's origin of Alexander, Alexandria, who lived from 185 to 254. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.